Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of the From the Hack podcast. My guest today is Richard Hart, who won an Olympic silver medal in 1998 with Mike Harris and won a Briar and World Championship with Glenn Howard in 2007. Rich retired from curling a few seasons ago, but as you'll hear in this interview, he still has his foot in the curling door, as it were, and there seems to be a chance that we'll see him involved in the sport in a coaching capacity at some point in the future. This was my first interview with Richard on the From the Hack podcast, and I'm happy to have finally had him on. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Before we get to my interview with Richard Hart, I wanted to take a moment to, to thank all of the frontline workers, be they healthcare professionals or anybody else in essential services that are doing so much to keep me, my family, and people from around Canada and around the world safe in this difficult time. In order to help you pass the time a little bit, I will not only be posting an interview with Richard Hart today, but later this week, probably on Saturday or Sunday, I will post an interview with Brad Gushu. Brad and I spoke for nearly an hour, and we touched on many different curling-related subjects. So, Rich, uh, thanks again for uh, connecting with me and uh, being on the podcast in what's been a strange time for uh, for the sport of curling and the world in general. I guess my first question to you uh, then is, uh, how are you coping and uh, how's your family dealing uh, with uh, the quarantine that everybody is dealing with right now? Well, Frank, we're doing okay. It's uh, certainly very, very strange times. We, um, we're lucky that... You know, I say lucky that we we have four of the five of us are still working. Uh, you know, I'm in the construction business. We're electrical contracting business. And here in Ontario, a lot of our work and our customers have been deemed essential work. Uh, two of my, my boys work with us, so they're still working. And my wife uh, works at the, the cancer center in, at Lake Ridge Health here, um, here in the Toronto area. So she's uh, she's still working as well. So we're we're pretty busy. I'm doing a lot of my work from home, but uh, I still do visit uh, a lot of our sites. So um, we're doing okay. Everyone's uh, healthy, um, but we uh, we're looking forward to you know sometime in the future getting things somewhat back to normal. So the Tim Hortons bar took uh, place about a month ago. It seems like a few years ago at this point. Uh, but I want to take you back to that event and ask you for your impressions of the uh, 2020 Tim Hortons bar in Kingston. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was a fantastic event, and the the shot making and the drama, you know, with with all the teams being so closely matched, and it was. I, I've got to say, I was a little skeptical over the last few years with the changes that have come to the the format at the Briar. But when you watch and you see what um, 
what it's turned into with the addition of Team Canada a number of years ago, and then the addition of the wild card, and and even you know again very controversial the, the opening up of the borders and you know players jumping around from province to province. Ultimately, it has made a lot of the the team stronger, and it's just created a you know an absolutely phenomenal event and. Uh, it's to have that many teams. Well, I don't know what was there six or seven teams, all right there. Kind of any one of them could have won it. Um, pretty exciting, really amazing for curling fans. So your old uh, buddy and uh, skip uh, Glenn Howard uh, was involved in the wildcard game at the Briar, playing against Team McCune of uh, Manitoba. Safe to say you were cheering uh, pretty hard for your old teammate uh, during that game. Oh yeah, and they. Absolutely. You know, my, my wife and I and actually the kids, we watched it together. And um, it was exciting seeing Glenn so close. And they, they actually played great. I, I chatted with Glenn a few days before the game, and he had, he had told me how strange it was, right? Like, it, it's, a, it's a game that not many curlers have played in, and it's a different mindset. You know, typically when you make it to a, a massive game, you've had a, a whole week to prepare, right, where you – you know, your, your confidence is high and you know draw weight and you know exactly what the ice is doing. This is essentially the first game of a Bonspiel, but it's the most important game. And uh, I, I was pretty proud of them. They, they, did, they, they prepared perfectly. They played great. They put a lot of pressure on Team McEwen. And um, if you remember, I think Mike probably made three or four game-saving shots in that game. And if he misses any one of them, or even just doesn't make them quite, quite as well as he did. Uh, I think Glenn ends up uh, ultimately winning that game. So, uh, you know, hats off to Team McHugh, and they they made the shots when they had to. So, Rich, Team Gushu has now won uh, three Briar in four years. Do you believe they've now done enough uh, to enter the conversation when people are discussing the better men's curling teams in Canadian history? Yeah, and absolutely. They they're in that conversation, and um, uh, it. It feels like it came on quickly, but it, I guess it really hasn't for that team. They, um, you know, they lost the final in there too. I think, right? Uh, they lost 2016 to Cooey, then won two, lost to Semi, and then won this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a heck of a run. That team uh, has has really been a, at the top for a number of years. So, um, yeah, they're definitely in that conversation of of one of the the top teams of all time. Not to bring back any bad memories, Rich, but you're one of the few curlers that might best be able to understand how Team Botcher felt after losing their third Briar Final in a row in Kingston. You lost three Briar Finals, albeit in four years, back in 2008, 2010, and 2011, while playing on Team Glenn Howard. What advice would you have for Team Botcher after they've been so close over the past three years but have yet to come home with a Briar Championship? History's shown that, that it can provide a real motivation to keep going, and... Um, you know, it's not unusual. You know, Al Hackner lost two finals before winning in, in 1982, I believe. Um, you know, it's happened to other teams as well. Certainly our team had our share of disappointment in that final game. I, I feel like for us it was a little easier because we lost our first and then won our second um, final, uh, which, you know, kind of held us off. And it wasn't probably till you know, that we had a real disappointing loss in 2010 to uh, to Cooey, and that's where it you know, started to hurt again, if you know what I mean. But uh, I think that they'll probably use it as motivation. It'll keep the team together. It'll keep them 
keep them focused on on getting back and um, you know eventually it, well I shouldn't say that I want to say eventually it's going to happen for them but um, there's no guarantees right there's other young teams coming up and they're going to be you know knocking at the door and it's uh, you know it's a hard thing you can't have those years back you got to just keep working hard and and you, you hope that it, it pays off. In an interview you did a couple of years ago on the Two Girls in the Game podcast, uh, shout out to Lori and Mary, by the way, you discussed your experience in a couple of different Olympic trials and, and said that you dealt with a little bit of depression after Team Howard lost the 2009 trials final to Kevin Martin, who then went on to uh, win Olympic gold in Vancouver. Do you believe that the curling community in Canada is set up to help its athletes properly deal with the emotional toll of striving for a goal for four years and then falling short, especially in an era, Rich, where many of the top curlers are often making some pretty big sacrifices on the family front and with their professions mostly to follow that olympic dream yeah you know what really good question frank and one i look i've never had that one you know put to me quite like that and um i think that the curling community is is learning and they're they're much further ahead now than they were four years ago eight years ago and I think players are more aware of it now, and there a lot of teams already. You know, I'm talking about the top, the top teams, right? The top ten teams say. I mean, they, most of these teams at some point or have access to, you know, sports psychologists who who you know are trained in in dealing with this kind of stuff. But even that aside, um, you know, previous generations, like even before me, they didn't. Nobody knew anything about. Uh, you know, depression and and what would happen after a you know big events and big losses and I I don't know if in that interview you referenced um, if I talk about uh, when we lost the Olympic gold medal game in '98 with Mike Harris I I had gone into a, a probably a two or three month funk people call it but it was a form of depression and I was younger at the time I was still in my 20s I didn't even know what was happening. And and you you were you were basically in this this fog this cloud and you don't know that you are and um, that's really dangerous I think and you know you come out of it and it was probably midsummer where you start to uh, you, you know you things start to come back and and it wasn't until a few years later that you even re- really recognized what happened to you and um, certainly oh nine when when our team lost uh, that final game and we had put a lot into leading up to uh, leading up to those olympic trials i was uh, i was in a better place you know i you know i was i was at least aware that of what you were going through and that, i think that's half the battle is is knowing that okay this is temporary i'm bummed out um, i'm not feeling my best this is going to pass it's always passed before and i was uh, you know i think i was able to cope with it much better than i was when i was a, a younger man and and didn't even know it existed. Um, so uh, I think our players now, all our top players, they're aware of it, and it's it's not a fun thing to go through. But um, knowing when it's happening it certainly is is the the first step to to getting through it. We'll have more with Richard Hart in a moment, but first a word from Hardline. 
If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline. They offer premium curling equipment that is the choice of the world's top curlers. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist, Team Schuster, or women's Olympic gold medalist, Sweden's Team Hasselberg. Or how about the top Canadian teams, Briar Champs, Team Cooey, Team Gushu, Team Jacobs, Team Carruthers, and world champions, Team Adine and Team Tiranzoni. Hardline's new composite broom, the Hybrid Helium, is the lightest composite broom on the market, and it's perfect for beginners. Hardline also offers a full range of equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and join the revolution. Now, typically, Rich, we don't see very many lineup changes at the elite level in the middle of an Olympic cycle, especially not the way we did this season. Were you surprised at how many teams made changes over the past few weeks, especially top-ranked teams like uh, Team Homan on the women's side and Team Kui on the men's side? Yeah, you know, I want to say it's it's surprising, but maybe, maybe that's not the right word. I think it's uh, certainly a shift in, in um, attitudes at the top level where, where teams, you know, had more, um, had bigger commitment to each other when, you know, they would, they would commit, you know, years ago, this never happened, right? Before the Olympics, you know, you had a one-year contract, right? But then once the Olympics got put into place, you know, around in 98 and moving forward, teams started to talk about, oh, it's a four-year commitment. And there was this four-year commitment. Well, now we're seeing a shift away from that where where teams are, are going, uh, you know what, it's not actually a four-year commitment. It's still year-to-year, and we're willing to do anything we can, including making uh, personnel changes um, to, to make ourselves better. And it's just um, it's one more step towards uh, curling being, being a business, and that's, uh, that, that's the way it's being treated. And like it or not, I, I think that's, that's, we're going to continue to see this more and more moving forward. Um, so on the surface, a little surprised, but when you really think about it, um, it's, just a, it's just another, um, uh, you know, another form of change that our, we're seeing in our game. I think it's fair to say that chemistry on any sports team is important. Uh, you, Glenn, and the rest of the team from the late 2000s seem to have a bunch of chemistry. That said, in most conversations I had at the end of the last cycle with players, they told me that when forming their new teams, uh, they were doing so based on talent, and then you could also tell that they were simply hoping that chemistry would evolve over time. Are we almost at the point now, Rich, where teams will have to spend more time doing research to identify whether personalities uh, for a potential lineup are a good match, as opposed to trying it out for season or two and then having to make some uh, changes mid-cycle yeah well first of all yeah I mean I, I was so lucky I, I basically played my career with two skips Mike Harris Glenn Howard two of them are great friends of mine I uh, you know I still see a ton ton of Mike and and Glenn and I try to get together whenever we can and stay in touch and I consider myself lucky and at the same time I'm sad for our sport because it's less and less likely that curlers are going to be able to have the same experiences I had. And, um, and it's, you know, I, I had an amazing career, have great friends, and I don't think that's the direction we're going. And, and to your point, teams are not putting as much weight on when, when making personnel decisions on chemistry. I think they've kind of they've minimized it, which, right or wrong, I mean, we're seeing teams, you know, they click right away and it comes down to making your shot 
and um, they're treating it like a business. If you do your job, our chemistry is going to be just fine. And and I think that's the attitude. And, and I'm not saying that it's wrong. I just it's less enjoyable. But but these guys now don't really curl for the same reasons I did, right? They um, they, um, they they do it for other reasons because it is a business. And um, when I curled, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it that way, right? I I wouldn't do it that way where I I wouldn't play with a person I I didn't get along with or or didn't uh, didn't really respect for other reasons outside of curling. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Um, but but these guys now again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that they'll basically uh, if you come and do your job, you're welcome on this team, and uh, and the chemistry will take care of itself, and you know what? The, the, the level of curling continues to go up, so uh, it's hard to argue it, to be honest with you. I think there is a long-term effect, though. You're going to see shorter careers. You're going to see uh, people won't play the game as long because they won't be getting the same enjoyment out of it. Uh, there's going to be – you're going to see more team changes and team shuffles, um, which, again, that's fine, but, again, it'll it's going to reduce the number of people playing at the top level of our sport, and that – is where it, we could see it peak, right? Where right now Canada, we, we stay near the top just for sheer numbers. We have we have we have the most competitive curlers, um, so we're drawing on a bigger pool than other other countries are. But if we start having fewer, which we're already seeing, but once we get to that breaking point where uh, we only have three top teams instead of you know eight or nine really good teams here in Canada. Um, once we get to that point, uh, people are dropping out of and, and losing interest in playing our sport at the top level. We're not going to see the game continue to get better, I think. You just provided me with a terrific segue. There are many in the Canadian curling community that are concerned that Canada is becoming increasingly top-heavy on both the men's and women's side. Canada still has more depth than any other country, but our Tier 1 depth, you know, the, the teams that are legitimate threats to win a Briar or a Scotties, a, a World Championship or an Olympic medal, are, uh, is, you know, that, that core group is much smaller now than it was a decade ago, mostly because curling is now a business, the top players are all on the same teams, and you now have curlers who 15 or 20 years ago would be skipping teams on tour by now and competing deep at the provincial championship each year but now they're spending six or eight years of their prime playing second or lead on tier one teams now i'm not sure if there's an easy fix for this rich but i'm wondering if that's something you've observed as well as uh, as now you're kind of looking at it uh, from forty thousand feet on the outside looking in yeah it certainly is is a part of the the problem where where and as you said i don't i don't think there's a fix for it either but you have less you know, less to play for. Now there's one goal, right? Like where if you don't get to that top level, people don't seem to be that interested. There's not, um, but when I came out of junior, say, again, this is a long time ago, it was, yeah, I would have, you know, I had this dream of playing in a, in a briar someday, but that was about it. Otherwise, I was curling because I loved it. I was curling, you know, we would go to a local Bonspiel. We'd drive down the highway to London, Ontario. We'd drive down the highway to Brantford. Um, you know, we'd go to Guelph and play in a in a bond spiel, and we would enjoy it as a standalone event where it you know we were perfectly happy playing and competing at that event against you know people of our same or similar skill level, and it created excitement and it created a challenge, and that doesn't really exist right now. Guys come out of junior 
and they it's all about mapping it out to get to you know uh, to, to be on one of the top teams so that you're in the Grand Slam series and you're on that team that goes to the Briar every single year you know you're on team Epping in Ontario you're on team Jacobs in northern Ontario you're on team uh, Cooey or team Gushu these teams are going to the Briar every single year so if you're not on those teams you're you're just sort of you don't have much to play for. There's not a lot of enjoyment at the lower level, I don't think. Um, yeah. So, again, that's my opinion. Uh, maybe these guys are loving it, but, you know, I've seen it even with, you know, even with my kids where, you know, they had really great junior careers and were fantastic curlers, but um, they lost interest, and they said, you know what, curling's not that much fun, Dad. We just – we don't really enjoy it. I mean, it's um, – I shouldn't say it that harshly. Uh, and certainly they enjoy it. But um, the direction that the sport is gone, you know, the only fun thing is winning. The rest of the fun stuff is gone. And um, you're, you, you, that's and only one team can win every weekend. So, hey, there's not a lot of uh, enjoyment to go around. And I, I'm afraid, you know, we're still, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not painting this, this really awful picture. We're, we're still going to have, Canada is going to have top teams for the next 20 years, and there's still going to be amazing curling to watch on TV. But for a young person, there's there's not more than one thing that that keeps you interested in the sport. I think. Speaking of players getting uh, to create their own elite teams, uh, what did you make of the birthright rule that Curling Canada passed a, a year or two ago? Uh, it now seems like they unintentionally created loopholes that are allowing players that were born in the province but never really competed out of that province to, quote-unquote, return home to try and earn a Briar or a Scotty spot. It certainly wasn't the intention of the rule, and I'm wondering if you think Curling Canada should reword the birthright rule so that it limits players exploiting loopholes. Look, we all understand what um, Curling Canada was trying to do, and I think they missed the mark a little bit. I don't think this was the intent. They weren't trying to create a situation where people could, could play anywhere they wanted. I don't think that's what they were trying to do, um, like so long as you, you were born there. But, again, uh, that's what, it, that's what it, it turned out to be. So I think they will revisit it, and I think they will try to, you know, tighten it up and put it where they where they actually – wanted it to be but you know it's hard for me I'm, I'm torn right because I I actually I just told you I, I love the briar this year but at the same time I don't like Team Canada and I don't like uh, I don't like the wild card but I just enjoyed the briar so hey you know maybe I'm the wrong person to ask it's uh, I have too many good memories of of you know the years gone by where you know people actually came from their province and and there was a lot of pride there, and and the fans loved it. And now you that that's kind of all gone away. Back in your curling prime, Rich, there were a few uh, rivalries uh, where you could feel attention on the ice when two teams met. There were never fisticuffs, uh, at least not at Slams or at the Briar, but there was some chirping going on out there, and I remember you and Benny Hebes exchanging pleasantries once or twice. Not saying that teams don't want to beat each other these days, they obviously do, but there doesn't seem to be many heated rivalries, if you will. Uh, do you think curling would be better off if there was a little bit of that amongst the top teams, especially since they play each other so often these days? Yeah, I think that that would, that, that would certainly create some interest. Um, uh, that, that's always, that is always fun to watch. Um, but having said that, we're, we are, it's hard to complain about the entertainment level. It, it really is phenomenal. 
but you know, years gone by, there were teams that that weren't as popular, and and people love to watch them lose or or love to watch them play against each other, and it certainly was was a different dynamic for sure. But um, I, uh, it's not really something you can create. There is a lot of familiar familiarity at the top level amongst these teams, and um, it's it's hard to get rid of that. Earlier, Rich, you mentioned how your kids played competitive curling at the junior level, and we are in an era now where the best players in the world are on TV just about every other weekend, and as a result, the players are much better known to the curling community than they were 20 years ago. That means that the sons and daughters of elite players are going to get uh, are going to be put increasingly under the microscope, as it were, if they choose to curl. Having gone through it with your kids, what advice would you have for a Rachel Holman, a Brad Thiessen, uh, a Jeff Walker, and Laura Crocker, who will be raising their kids in an era where, if they decide to curl, they will be known as the son of or the daughter of their parent, which often makes it tougher on kids as they are trying to work their way through a sport, learn it, and improve day by day. It certainly has its pros and cons, right? On the, it goes both ways. Certainly, there's advantages, but there's there's some disadvantages. And my advice would be take the lead of your child, and because every kid's different. And and we and we were even year to year. You know, there was some years where where you know one of one of the kids really wanted to do their own thing, and they put a team together on their own, and and. Um, and, you know, hey, Dad, we don't want you to coach. And, you know, and they went, and that's great. You know what? They went and took care of it and did it on their own. But then there was other years where I kind of got in and said, hey, you know what? You want to be on a good team? This is what I think we should do. And you you helped them put it together, and you offered your, your advice, and you offered your, your consulting and your coaching if required. And, you know, so it's up to your kid. You really got to. You gotta let them be what they want to be, and um, uh, I think most parents know that, right? And that's uh, you, you know, there, there's pros and cons for sure, though. It's a really, really interesting question, though, Frank. And finally, Rich, many people are wondering when we will see you back in a sport. Uh, you've done some coaching in the past, I know that, and and I'm guessing you have your coaching certification, but even if you didn't, you would qualify under Curling Canada's new coaching consultant program. So I'm wondering if uh, coaching might be in your future. Yeah, Frank, I'm, I'm really undecided, and as you said, yeah, I have my, my, my coaching certificates, which I, which I had to get uh, you know, when my kids were young, and I'm still certified. But then I also threw my name in, and I'm a part of the – high performance consulting program or something like that. So I, I, I'm registered for that program as well. Um, I've had some, some opportunities that have come my way. Um, I haven't really taken too many people up on it. Um, I did do a little tiny bit this year with a, with a, a young women's team in Ontario. And I, again, like a few practices, some, some messaging. I went and watched a bit of their curling and, gave them some ideas, but the biggest thing is the time, Frank, and it's just, uh, you know, I've spent a good portion of my life in curling clubs, and I loved it, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to doing other things, so um, I'm certainly not going to say that that I won't be there coaching um, in the future, but I am enjoying doing some other things uh, away from the sport as well, but I, I still have my foot in the door a little bit. And I do talk to people, and I do do a little bit of advisory work, and I, and I feel like that's the best use of my time, if, if that makes any sense, uh, where, you know, 
practicing and, and talking to teams it feels more productive than just going to events and helping out with a couple of timeouts per game, if you know what I mean. So um, it's all about time management, really, right now. But uh, still love watching curling. I, I try to keep as up-to-date as I can and, and uh, uh, talk to as many people as I can about the sport. And, and um, really, I, I love it, just enjoying time away as well. And that does it for this special episode of the From the Hack podcast. My thanks to Richard Hart. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and be the first to know when my interview with Brad Gushu is available. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.